North Carolina A&T is expected to win the Big South. Let's take a look at some all MEAC preseason projections and also wrap up our Senior Bowl watch list. Oh, yeah. It's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one. Daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. The Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first list of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. You can follow me on Twitter at South Exclusives. That is at South Exclusives on Twitter for my audio people, for all of my YouTube people. You can see it right there on the screen at the bottom. Let's start off and talk about North Carolina A&T because they are projected to win the Big South, and this is nothing less than major. Short of major. Let's open up talking about North Carolina A&T because they are projected to win the Big South in football this year, and that is nothing short of major. This is a really big deal, and I'm going to tell you why. It's three particular reasons why I think this is a big deal for the Aggies and for HBCUs in general, right? But honorable mention is it came from the coaches. It didn't come from HBCU media. It didn't come from me. It didn't come from any of the other publications that you like to listen to or, or read. No, it came from the Big South coaches. So this is the peers acknowledging, and I'm not going to harp on it because we've done it enough during media day, just talking about how the view of, peers and coaches and everything is impactful we're going to do it later on in this in this show so we're not going to do that but this is major news and i'm going to read to you the three reasons it's one because this is only their second season in that conference two they're about to leave and then three they're an hbcu now i'll start at the bottom because they're an hbcu is so vague it's like what well what does that even mean darian like what does that actually mean they're an HBCU. We already know that, but why is that important? It's important because they're going to do something that if this happens, right? Let's let's we're going to talk this whole way out as if it's happened. So I understand that we're only in July at the moment and it won't be detailed or decided until November, December, but we're going to act like we're there and this has already happened. Now, North Carolina ANC wins the Big South. It's important because an HBCU hasn't won a non-HBCU conference in over 20 years. Hampton ain't won nothing since they left the MEAC. Tennessee State hasn't won an OVC championship since, since 1999. So you're looking on 22 years going on at that point, 23 years going on at that point. This is something that has not happened, and it's important because a lot of times when you look at a player or a coach, or excuse me, a player, even a coach, but a player, coach, or a team, making what is perceived as a step up, it's doubts about can they do it, right? Because North Carolina a dominated the MEAC and then left. They cleared out their division and then left. But what comes from that? Now you're in the Big South. What are you going to do here? And you look at a player who goes from college to the NFL. Okay, what are they going to do, right? 
Uh, you look at teams who make that jump from D2 to FCS, teams who go from FCS to FBS. There's always that, that conversation of how will you do with the elevated competition? And when it comes to HBCUs, it's even in the FCS is weird, but it's looked at as a, a shelf below. You look at in the in the playoffs, the conversation around HBCUs and the FCS playoffs is as if they're not going against their peers. Or can they handle that competition? You know, they, they're, they're treated as a team who has no real experience going against upper level or whatever. Like that, That's how they are treated. That's how they're discussed. So now you have North Carolina A&T who dominate the MEAC. They come to the Big South. Well, what are you going to do? And it doesn't really matter if James Madison left. I understand that they're gone, so it's like, well, the big dog left. No, it's not an of course they're going to win. It's not a foregone conclusion that North Carolina A&T wins this. And honestly, we're keeping a very similar energy. Not the same because comp- competing just kind of fades. Winning the conference is a banner, and you're going to hear the Aggies talking big stuff. Believe that. Right. So now we get back to the number one. This is only their second season in the conference. And when you look at last year, you coming off the COVID years, your first year into a new conference, you're getting adjusted. There are so many moving parts when you look at North Carolina A&T's 2021 season that aren't going to be a part of 2022. I'm not trying to say we should just wipe away that first year. Not at all. The first year is going to stand. I think we wipe away the spring season enough for teams. We're not going to wipe away this fall. But what we are going to at least address and acknowledge is that North Carolina A&T came into a conference. They were okay, right? They weren't great, but they were okay. Now, in that second year, they're expected to make a jump to be number one. Like, even if they were number two, we're applauding this. So that's why I think that the James Madison point holds really no weight. It holds no weight to me. You're looking at a situation where this is one of the best teams in a new conference and only their second season. And not only is it only their second season, it's the last season. It is their last season there. What a perfect way to ride off in the sunset. We're talking about football. We're talking about we're talking about the sport, right? What better way to ride into the sunset than to go ahead and take a, a conference championship? You're looking at a team who told the Big South, listen, we're going to the CAA. That's what it is. We're going. However, we're going to stay one more year. We're going to stay one more year so that you can get your automatic bid. Mind you, if they win, they have an automatic bid to the playoffs. So then you also get that storyline of them being in the playoffs and seeing what that's going to be like. But neither here nor there. You're talking about a team going in their last season, chunking a deuce. We really said that we wanted to let you get this automatic bid. But really, we just wanted to come in and take your championship and do it and do it in your last season with this conference playing these teams. You said, you know what? It's been real. We're going to take this championship and we're going to go. We're going to take this championship and we're going to go. So North Carolina a is projected to win the Big South. And if they do, it's big for three reasons. Number one, they're an HBCU. They're an HBCU. And that does not happen often. Yes, HBCUs win the SWAC and the MEAC, but that's the only team there. It don't really, it don't really count, okay? We're talking about an HBCU winning a non-HBCU conference for the first time in 23 years. This is only their second season, so they came in and got acclimated very quickly to become a winning program. And then also, just for fun's sake, they chunking the deuce after. And they say, you know what? We're going to win this championship, and we're going to go over here to the CAA. 
I absolutely love it. I think that this is great. And I hope that it happens so that we can come on and we can talk about it here on Locked on HBCU. Now, going forward, we're going to be talking about their former conference. North Carolina A&T may be on their way to the CAA and currently in the Big South, but they just left the MEAC. So we're going to be taking a look at the HBCU Sports all MEAC preseason team. Right, We're going to take a little bit of a highlight on their offensive and defensive player of the year, but we're also going to talk about what it means for some teams around the conference. Before I get into that, however, I want to tell you about Bet Online because Bet Online is the best place for all of your sports wagering. You want to know a little bit more about what you're putting your money down on? Bet Online also has your podcast. They also have information to keep you up to date. Now, I love it because we can go in and put money down blindly if you want to. We can do that. But why do that when BetOnline is going to at least help you feel educated and know what you're putting your money down on? You can look at a game, know the game's happening, and not know anything about it. BetOnline doesn't want you in that situation. Listen to the podcast, get their amazing odds, and just indulge in the versatility. We're looking at a, a, a program that has professional football, professional basketball, college basketball, college baseball, professional baseball, hockey. They have everything. MMA, the Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunez fight is this Saturday, and I am absolutely ecstatic about it. I cannot wait for it to happen. Oh, that fight is going to be amazing. Put your money down on that fight on Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to wage on all of your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. As we keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I thank you for making us part of your daily routine and checking out Locked on HBCU first thing every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I truly do appreciate that. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Now, with that being said, I want to continue with our MEAC Media Week coverage. And I'm going to continue that conversation talking about the HBCU Sports All MEAC Preseason Team projections. Mind you, mind you this is not the actual all MEAC team for the preseason. We'll get that news at media day. And listen, if there's one thing I love, you know it's preseason polls, right? But if there's two things I love, you know it's, it's the preseason teams. I love those as well. In a way, they kind of correlate. You can connect how many players are all-stars on, on or projected to be all-stars, because that's essentially what this is. It's like, if this team, if this player is on this all MEAC team, they're a star. You can kind of translate that into wins, you would hope, right? A lot of times you see the team that has a lot of players on these all-conference teams, they're actually pretty high in the rankings. Now, sometimes you don't have players on that, and you're just a summation of a bunch of really good players, not even about having stars. Those are two completely different situations. But if you have a lot of stars, you're probably going to win some games. That's at least the projection. But even if you want to take it away, the benefit of having these preseason all-conference teams is the fact that now when you're watching, you know exactly who to look for, right? If I just look at this and open up the list, let's just use some players from last year. I know I need to watch out for Pookie Carter and, De and Deshaun Dixon anytime I'm watching Norfolk State last year. I know that. And these are the type of things that you get from having a preseason. Uh, all MEAC team. You have the stars that are now in front of you and you know exactly what to watch going into the season. So that's really the supreme idea of why this is so exciting for me, right? From a fan perspective, forget all the analyst stuff, just knowing, okay, that guy 81, he's really good. We need to watch out for him when they're on offense. 
But let's get into the defending champs because I'm not starting anywhere other than South Carolina State, right? They return so many players. They actually have the defensive player of the year, projected defensive player of the year in Jablonski Green, somebody who on last episode I said is kind of undervalued and underappreciated because his main stat last year was tackles for a loss instead of sacks. I wonder if he needs to increase the sack numbers to get to that defensive player of the year. I kind of hope not just so I can just be like, guys, he was really valuable. Don't let the, the sack numbers be in under three fool you. No, he was a disruptive impact player. That's how I feel. I would love that. Um, but anywho, he's also on this list, of course, first team. Um, they actually own both the first team defensive linemen or defensive tackles, excuse me. Now, with that being said, I don't even want to talk about that because they have the most players on this all MEAC team, but they also have a kicker and a punter. Let's show some love to the special teamers. Let's show a little bit of love to players who really don't get love. Right. You're talking about a, a player who in a kicker. If he makes the game winning kick, I almost feel like a, a, a missed game winning kick is like 10 times worse than a game winning kick that's made is good in a way that was weirdly phrased. But I feel like the negative gets so much weight when we're talking about kickers. They have a kicker and a punter on the second team all me uh, squad. Let's highlight that because you have. A player and a kicker who, when you have a reliable kicker, man, that is so valuable. A player who you don't have to be concerned is going to miss extra points and it's going to bite you in the butt later because maybe you have to go for two. Somebody who isn't going to miss field goals, and that could flip the field. The punter flips the field. You know, it, it helps your defense by forcing the opposing offense to drive farther. And if the defense does their job, now it's going to help your offense because they need to start closer and they have less less pace to drive, uh, space to drive, excuse me. So, I think that the kicker and the punter are extremely valuable. And on a team where everybody's returning, let's highlight a couple of players who do not get that nod so often. Now you look at Norfolk State. With Norfolk State, you're looking at J.J. Davis, who is your offensive player of the year, projected to be your offensive player of the year, I should say, out of Norfolk State, the running back. It's not the quarterback. No more Pookie Carter. No, we're talking about Davis. And this player is a baller. He was one of the best running backs in the country last year as well. So this is what you're looking at. You're looking at J.J. Davis. You're looking at Jablonski Green. You're looking at these players expected to truly dominate on their side of the ball. Now, when you look at Central, Central also has, or excuse me, Central has the quarterback. So let's not expect South Carolina State to have an easy go of it. They're going to have to deal with Central, and Central is going to be packing the best quarterback in the conference. So when you pack the best quarterback in the conference, I will never, ever, 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 ever count you out. I promise you that because a quarterback is one of the great equalizers, and it doesn't always work. It doesn't. But I'm going to never count you out. So I hope you can accept that, Locked on HBCU listeners, and be prepared to look at the best quarterback in the MEAC in Davius Richards. So that's, that is just a little bit of a recap and a highlight on your offense and defensive players of the year. We'll actually see what those teams look like on Friday at MEAC Media Day. Going forward, we're going to wrap up with our Senior Bowl watch list. We outlined the MEAC players on Monday. Now we're back today to talk about the rest of the list.
let's wrap up the show and wrap up our senior bowl watch list. We talked about the two players in Jablonski Green and Isaiah Guthrie who made it from the MEAC on yes on Monday's episode. Excuse me. Now today we're going to wrap up and we have seven players to get through. So we're not going to touch on everybody in full detail, but we are going to give the highlights about each player. Let's start off with Joshua Pryor. And Joshua Pryor is the only Division II player to make this list. That's important because you look at the only Division II player to make the Senior Bowl last year, you're looking at Joshua Williams, who ended up getting drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. And this is important because as important as it is for HBCU players to make it to the Senior Bowl and have that, and really just FCS players in general, you have that Division II knock of you're playing D2 and you're playing HBCUs. So Joshua Pryor probably needs this more than any other player on the list because a strong performance at a senior bowl, it's getting you drafted. You go in and you play really well at the senior bowl for any of these guys, and you're getting drafted. It's really just that simple. So um, let's see if he can follow his CIAA fellow former CIAA player in Joshua Williams to the senior bowl and then to the NFL draft in getting drafted. Then we're going to go with Sundiata Anderson, who was the only Grambling player to make a all first team swap last year. Not talking about the preseason projection. No, we're talking about last season in 2021. He was one of the better defensive linemen in the conference. So we always talk about tackles for a loss. We always talk about sacks and those are disruptive stats. That's the reason we highlight them, but he had the biggest disruptive stat forced fumbles. He had three of them. We're talking about turnovers. Yeah, sacks are great. Tackles for loss are great. Turnovers are bigger than both of them. He had three of those forced fumbles last year. Now let's get into Kamari, Kamari Avery. And he's a player who, I'm going to be honest with you, Kamari Avery is the, is the reason I want to watch Bethune-Cookman next year. I want to go to a Bethune-Cookman game live in person just so I can see Avery, and that's the hype that he's gotten. He was nearly a 1,000-yard receiver last year at the tight end position. I expect him to be the, the fuel to the Bethune-Cookman offense. I expect that. That's what he should be as the best receiver. You look at the best receivers in any – if you're the best receiver on your team, whether you're a tight end or a wide receiver, you are usually the fuel, the, the engine behind that offense as far as the passing game goes. I expect Avery to be that. By the way, Joshua Pryor was out of Bowie State. I forgot to mention his college. Uh, let's look at B.J. Bowler, right? So B.J. Bowler comes in a little bit undersized. There's a lot of people who are probably going to question his ability on the outside, maybe at the next level, but luckily we're not there right now. So at the collegiate level, specifically in the SWAC and the MEAC, he has shown himself to be able to play. Right. So he's shown himself to be able to have 16 to play, excuse me, 16 pass defenses. 16 of them, four interceptions. You're looking at 20 plays on the ball if you combine the two. This is a really good player. And he's one of the reasons, along with Isaiah Land, that I think a lot of people have a lot of faith that though they're missing Marquise Bell, fam, you will still be able to roll over and have a really good defense. You know, and I think maybe next week or Actually, probably as we get closer to the season, I'll talk about a comment that Isaiah Land himself made at Swag Media Day about how they're going to replace Marquise Bell. I think we'll probably talk about that a week or two out from the season. That, that'll be something interesting to discuss. But as we continue going into the defensive backfield, we're going to look at Joshua, excuse me, John Huggins out of Jackson State. And when you look at him, 
he's a player who I think they're banking on a little bit of a progression, a little bit of a jump, and he kind of ended the season hot. He had three pass breakups against Prairie View in that SWAC championship game of his six total. If he can continue to replicate games like that and make plays on the ball, then, yeah, I could see him being a senior bowl watch list. They're going to have a stacked secondary out there in Deion, in, excuse me, in Deion sense, in Jackson State. They're going to have a really stacked secondary, and I really can't wait to watch how teams try to throw the ball against them. That'll be one of the more interesting storylines to watch in the SWAC or one of the more underrated storylines i'll say i think it's interesting but it'd be one of the most underrated storylines in the swag as well now we're going to wrap up we only have two of them but we're going to go with mark page and or excuse me mark pope excuse me there's not much to say about pope he's a miami transfer he plays wide receiver we'll see what he is i, I don't really want to project from what he was at miami this is university of miami hurricanes not uh, at ohio but um it's kind of a guessing game, especially when you're transferring in. At least these other players, we've seen them at their school. It's another weapon for Shador. It is. But you have a lot of them. So I don't really know what I'm going to get from Pope. I just know that he's coming in from Miami, and he's another weapon for Shador Sanders. We'll see what he is, though. And then last, but certainly, certainly not least, Jordan Lewis, a Buck Buchanan Award winner. Once again, I feel like every time I say Buck Buchanan, I need to explain. It is the award for the best defensive player in the FCS. All teams. So you're looking at Jordan Lewis, a player who is very versatile. You look at Coach G. You know, he, he has him as his number one HBCU prospect going into the NFL season or the NFL draft in 2023. This is, this is a player who has shown multiple years that he can pass rush at a highly effective rate. He does that again this year. That'll make it three seasons that he's done it in his collegiate career. That's a senior bowl invite and likely an NFL draft selection, not even as an undrafted free agent. This is major. This is a big-time season for him. This is a major, major season for him because he, he won that Buck Buchanan Award during the spring, and there's going to be a lot of players or a lot of people who try to take that spring season away. Let's go ahead and silence the doubt by having a phenomenal fall 22 season, go to the Senior Bowl, and then head into the NFL draft. And I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. We are going to continue with our MEAC Media Week on Friday. I've actually decided. I said I wasn't sure. I was up in the air. I said that on Monday, and I've come back with my decision. The decision is we're going to air Friday's episode, right? We're going to air that Thursday night. And then going into media, or excuse me, MEAC Media Day, we're going to kind of preview it a little bit more. Some of the things that we want to hear, we have the attendees. We're going to break down those things along with our feature Friday. I just didn't want to wait too late in the day to put out the episode. So we'll probably recap that on Monday. So that's what you can expect out of us for Friday and Monday's episode. And in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can catch me on Twitter Outside at South Exclusives. Make sure you're checking out our conference shows for your second listen of the day. Until next time that we hear each other, family. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace.